If you're trying to solve the future of work problem, you're in the right place today. But it may not be the problem that you think it is when you see the issue differently. Stay tuned. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance, and I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome back to CEO on the go, or if this is your first time listening, a special welcome to you. I'm really glad you're here. And as you may know, I started this podcast a couple of years ago at the start of the pandemic. And during that time, I've covered a lot of topics of interest to CEOs and senior executives who are navigating change and who appreciate quick leadership insights, practical ideas, and just a little dose of inspiration as you go about your day. So today you'll hear my conversation with someone who I know will challenge your thinking and offer timely perspective on one of the most common topics of interest to leaders today, the future of work. Jeff Schwartz is the Vice President of Insights and Impact at GLOAT, the world's leader in talent marketplaces driven by AI. He's also a visiting professor at Columbia Business School, a senior advisor on the future of work, and a retired senior principal at Deloitte Consulting, where he was a co-founder and leader of the U.S. Future of Work practice. And he's also a research affiliate at the MIT Sloan School Center for Collective Intelligence. He's been the global editor of Deloitte's Global Human Capital Trends Report since its launch in 2011. So you might be familiar with that report. Um, He's also the author of the recently published best-selling book, Work Disrupted, that talks about the accelerating challenges to the future of work. So I think you'll see clearly that Jeff has expertise to share. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. The theme of reframing emerged in our conversation. As Jeff stated, we're in an era of reframing. Leaders need to think seriously about the choices that they have and the questions that they're asking. So, you know, at a time when so many leaders are asking the question, what should we be doing? Jeff is really challenging leaders to question how they're even thinking about work, the workforce, and the workplace, as he'll explain. We also talk about the changing role of the leader, a topic that I'm especially interested in. And I think you'll want to take notes on this one because Jeff offers a variety of questions to be asking as a leader. He brings such depth and breadth to the topic, so we could have easily gone on for a lot longer. But I think it's enough to just get you focused on what's most important now so you can begin reimagining new possibilities for the future, maybe having different conversations with other leaders and team members in your organization. So for a deeper dive, we've also included a list of resources in the show notes that you can take advantage of. You can find them wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can also find them by going to ceoonthegopodcast.com. This episode in particular is a good one to share with other leaders in your organization who care about these issues as well and who you know might benefit. Enjoy my conversation with Jeff Schwartz. Jeff, I'm so glad that you could join me today on the podcast. I know that you've got a hot topic that we'll be talking about, future of work. So I can't wait to to pick your brain and get some insights on that. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. And I'm all warmed up and ready to go. So let's have a great conversation today. 
Good. Yeah. Well, and and I'll give a shout out to your book too, uh, because I think that it's one that I know that a lot of people in my market should read Work Disrupted. I like the emphasis on the accelerated future of work. So would love to get your thoughts on that. In fact, today, I think I just saw Home Depot is shortening their hiring from five days to, to one day. So, you know, they're, they're just constant examples of how everything at work is accelerating. But um, just to kickstart the process, I thought it might be helpful to start with some of the common misconceptions that you're seeing out there that people might have about the future of work. You know, it seems to be such a burden that people are grappling with and everyone's kind of coming at it from a different perspective. But what are you seeing? It's a great question. Um, what are the misconceptions about the future of work? Another way of putting it is so, Gail, is where, where are we in the future of work is, I think, one way to think about it. I think the misconception is that the future of the work is something that is going to happen later. It's not something that's happening now. And especially when we think about this from the perspective of CEOs and the C-suite executive team, um, I'd summarize it this way. Um, the misconception is that the future of work is in the future. And we have seen literally in the last two years, the three distinct phases of what I'll call the history of the future of work, right? When we ended 2020, when we heard the phrase future of work, we thought about a set of experiments we were doing, things that we were trying. We were trying things about remote work. We were actually doing that before. Um, COVID. We were trying, we had experiments about using gig work and, and uh, crowd workers. We were beginning to think about how do we put robots and AI together in the workforce, but we were very much in an experimental mindset. During COVID, which we are still working our way through around, we could have a whole separate conversation <laughs> on that, but we will, we will put that to the side. And in COVID, we've been in this rapid response and adaptation mode. And we have taken work, workforce, and workplace questions, and we can go into that, and asked ourselves at the C-suite level, what can we do to adapt to working in a remote and hybrid way? How can we use technology to work collaboratively? How can we use different workforce strategies, um, including full-time and part-time and gig work, to actually get things done? But we've been in an adaptation and a reaction mode. And I think the, the misconception or really the opportunity now is from the end of 2020, we were in an experimental mode. For the last couple of years, we've been in this response and adaptation mode. 2022, I think, is the first year of the 2020s, right? Now we get to start the decade that will end in 2030. So now we're going from an adaptation mode, a response mode, into a reimagination and a creation and a building mode. And I think the misconception is that it's in the future. We've very rapidly seen this three-stage process of experimentation, response, and adaptation. And I think the opportunity today is to think about where are we going to take this and how are we going to do the reimagination? Hopefully, that's a good way to start the discussion. Today. It is. because A lot of my work um, is, is around helping senior executives and their organizations reimagine the future and new possibilities. So I'm really curious to know what you would suggest as starting point for that, because there, you know, there are all kinds of approaches uh, and ways that you can do that effectively. But a lot of the leaders I know are completely overwhelmed right now. They kind of know that they need to be exercising this creativity muscle and imagination. And some are throwing a lot of people into one room trying to figure it out really fast. And others are, um, you know, following different, more kind of methodical or incremental practices. What, what do you suggest as a starting point? 
So I think the starting point for any discussion on the future of work and the starting point for setting priorities around the future of work is the, the very simple but not easy question for every executive team to be asking, which is the future of work to what end? What are we trying to accomplish? Now, the future of work, as I've been looking at it for, for many years now, um, both as a senior partner, I retired as an active partner from Deloitte uh, uh, last May, and now uh, working with Glow to Startup and teaching at Columbia Business School, doing some research uh, with colleagues at MIT. We talk about work, workforce, and workplace. And there are fundamental questions around work, which is how are people and technology working together and what are they achieving? There are fundamental questions about the workforce, who and what is the workforce, and what do careers look like? I'll talk a little bit about that. Then, of course, there's the big question of what happened to the workplace. It used to be that work and the workforce and the workplace were one thing. The factory was where the factory workers went and produced what they're doing. Now we had additive manufacturing. What happens when you can distribute some of the manufacturing work? The designers can be in one place. The actual configuration may be distributed. You know, we've not totally, but to some degree, we've sort of blown up the relationship between workforce and workplace. And I'll highlight two specific questions and opportunities here. One is the play, a place to start is to think about this question, the future of work to what end? And what we like to think about, what I like to think about are the three objectives that business leaders are focusing on. We are focusing on productivity and efficiency, which is simply doing more of what we're doing now with fewer errors and, and less labor input. That is productivity. We know what it is, business economics. There's the goal of innovation. How do we produce new products, new services, new ways of operating? And then there's the goal of, I'll call it meaning and impact. These are important outputs and outcomes of a company, but they may not be measured financially. I want to be very clear. The impact on the climate would be in this category. The impact yeah. on social inequality and inequity um, would be there. The impact on the communities in which you operate. So as business leaders, we're thinking about, hopefully, the future of work and how does it help us to be more productive, to be more innovative, and to have the impacts on our communities and society that, that we want to have. All right. So let me take a breath because I think the opportunity is to go from that question and then uh, we talked earlier, the, the word that I think both of us got excited about was that this is an era of reimagination. I think it's an, also an era in 2022 of reframing. And what I mean by that is, as senior executives, we get to decide which questions we're going to ask. So the first question is the future of work to what end? How are we going to use future of work opportunities, work workforces and workplaces to have a positive impact on productivity, innovation, and meaning and impact? The second is when we look at these different questions and we can go into it, how do we frame these questions, right? Because right now I think there's a very interesting opportunity and I apologize for going on, but let me just give one, let me give one specific example. I think it's fair to say that almost every company that I talk to anywhere in the world is asking the question, what is hybrid work and how should we be doing it? Um, and the way the discussion tends to unfold is there's a debate about two questions, who should be in the office or the factory or the facility and how many days they should be there, right? 
That's one version of the question. But we also can ask a different question. Again, we can reframe as exactly what the question is. I think the question may not be how many people are in the office and what days are in the office. I think the leadership and management question could be, how do we as a leadership team design, roll out, and manage all of the processes, including culture, to manage and empower a workforce? A chunk of them are working in the office. Many of them are working at home and never come to the office. And many of them are working between the office and home. So it's not only a question of who is where and how long are they going to be there, but rather, how do we change our management processes to manage a workforce that is distributed and will continue to be distributed for the foreseeable future, in part because the labor force wants it, right? So is the question where and how much time, or is it the management practices we put in place, the incentives, the culture in order to make it happen? We get to decide that as business leaders. Yeah, I love what you just said. And that triggered another question that I would love to to get your response on, because it's touching on kind of the, the changing role of the leader, and what that looks like. Um, and so, and I know a lot of people listening would be curious to get your perspective on that, because based on everything that you're s- suggesting, looking at asking different questions, you know, prompting different kinds of thinking, uh, leadership is changing, or the role of leadership seems to be changing. And I know you, you speak to that in your book as well. So what do they need to be thinking about? I love this question, but I love all these questions. So yeah. hopefully your, your audience <laughs> will pick that up in my yeah. responses. You know, I, I'm going to say something that authors say, which I, I've heard people say this, and it's almost embarrassing. So in, in chapter seven of my book, I go into this question, right? And the question is, um, it reminds me of a quote from John Maynard Keynes, if the facts change, I change my mind, what do you do? And I think the question for leaders and managers is, if the dynamics of what's going on in our business markets change and our workforce markets change, how do we change leadership and management? To reflect those changes, right? So uh, effectively, the if work workforces and workplaces are changing, then organization strategies and career strategies and leadership and management strategies need to change. And you know, it's it's a very complex but critical question. And and I would summarize it this way, which is um, most of the leaders that were trained in the 20th century, which includes me, I was in business school in the late 1980s. We have a lot of people went to business school in the late 1990s. I'm teaching at business school now um, here in New York. Our business school curriculums, for example, are still pretty rooted in 20th century models. They're rooted in efficiency control optimization models, right? And yet, when we think about the challenges that we have as business leaders today, it's not only about supervision and control. Right? It's not only about output. How do we do more of the same thing? It's about outcome. Right? It's not only about control, but it's about imagination. So what we're beginning to look at are questions like, how do we bring, and I know that you've looked at these questions with your audiences, how do we bring design thinking into the work we're doing, not just supervision? How do we bring cultural anthropology and understanding user design, understanding social dynamics? How do we bring behavioral economics? Now, that may sound academic, but you know the most influential thinking in economics in the last 20 years has not come from economists. It's come from psychologists. Right? I start this chapter um, on management practices by talking about Danny Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics, I think, in 2003. Now, Danny will say he's an amazing man, 
Um, that's interesting. I'm a psychologist. I never took an economics class, right? But it was looking at business economics and social interactions through the lens of biases and heuristics, the way people think, that was a huge movement forward for us in management. So I think the challenge, if I were to summarize it, is how do we combine new disciplines of design thinking, of, of um, uh, behavioral economics, um, of leading through influence versus leading through control um, with the traditional core capabilities of management, which is good communication, good understanding of the numbers, good understanding of, of managerial control practices. It's an and right now, right? And the reason this is so interesting is that if you simply double down on what you've been doing in the last 20 years, it may not be focusing on the capabilities you're looking for. It also has a huge implication on leadership and management pipelines, and we can go into that as well if you'd like. Yeah. Well, I just love the focus on leadership. Uh, to me, that's a starting point, even as you're thinking about the change that you want to create is to really evaluate your own role and how you want to show up and move into it differently, given these challenges and opportunities. So it is a complex topic, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. So that's great. Um, yeah. So I was I was wondering if you could share maybe uh, an example of an organization that's doing this well, or the kinds of leaders that are 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 navigating the new path well. Kind of some specifics in terms of how they're working with their teams. Uh, in any any kind of concrete examples, I think would be helpful just for leaders to kind of get their head around. You know, what are some action, some specific steps that I might take to have this conversation, to to prompt those questions, to move us in, in a different direction. A absolutely. And so a theme of what we've been talking about today, it's one of the ideas that I like. Um, uh, I quote um, in talking about my book, a quote from Albert Einstein, who said that you you can't use an old map to navigate a new world or explore a new world. And yet we're, we're often trying to do that as, as business leaders. Um, and I think one of the most important and actionable things that we can do, especially in 2022, is to literally ask the question, because as I, I believe this is the beginning of the 2020s. Right? And so it's a really important year for executives to write headlines for the next year. This is a practice we've been looking at for many years. Um, I, you know, many years ago, I worked with Dan Cohn and John Cotter when I was at Deloitte. We published the Heart of Change field book. And one of the techniques in the Heart of Change field book was to write the headlines for the future. So we're all familiar with it. This is an important year to do that, right? So if it's January or February of 2023, and you are looking back on what did you do to proactively lead through the great resignation, which we can talk about if you like. I think everybody knows what it is and where we are. And we just got the numbers from December. So I think it was 4.2 million people left the workforce, 11 million uh, jobs opening. The great resignation um, shift is, is still here. Um, but I think the question of what are those headlines that you want to write, right? And I think I'll give an example of this. And some of this comes with the work. Um, Gail, that I do with Gloat, where I, I I have this unusual role. I'm the VP of in, Insights and Impact. So I work with our marketing and sales teams. I also work with our product team, and I work with many of our customers. And and the the thing that we're focusing on very concretely is how do you think about your employees, and do you think about them through an employee life cycle? Is it like a supply? Or is your employment view a supply chain? You 
you source people, you onboard them, you run them through a set of programs in a linear way. And then when you're done with them, you discard them. We call that retirement or firing, right? Or do you view your workforce through the lens of a marketplace and an ecosystem, right? Once you make that shift from a supply chain or a life cycle, employee life cycle, to a talent marketplace and, uh, and a workforce ecosystem, you have many more opportunities in order to keep and grow talent. And when uh, we just had Gloat Live, which is our annual um, uh, conference where we had 3,000 people from around the world, but what we heard were from companies that are implementing talent marketplaces, and this is all public information, so I can say it, companies like um, Unilever and Schneider Electric and Seagate and HSBC and PepsiCo and MasterCard and MetLife and Tata Steel, I'm just giving some examples. What, what they are looking at is how do they use markets, internal markets, so that employees have as much or more choice inside your company as they do outside your company, right? Yeah. This is a very practical thing to do, but in order to get there, you have to make that shift from a control lifecycle supply chain to a marketplace. And that involves you know, a new set of platforms, the use of AI, but it, as we talked about a minute ago, that's the leadership change. Do your employees work for the divisional managers they work for, or are they employees of the company? And in addition to that, not only how do we move people around, but how do we make project and internal gig work part of the way that we operate? So these are very specific things that companies can do in 2022, right, to sort of lead into the great resignation and the change that we're seeing in both expectations of workers, but also the expectations of our business managers. Because the people managing our businesses and our projects and our teams, right, need, they know they need to move much faster. So the idea of asking each division on an annual basis, what workforce planning should we do, right? That's not the way the world works. And in the last two years, and, and I'll, I'll summarize with this comment, one of the things we saw with companies that are using talent marketplaces who are implementing it during the early days of COVID said, we need to implement this faster. And, and I remember one of our client executives said, Jeff, half of the people in our company with the changes of COVID are overworked and half of them are underworked, right? How do we move around the jobs and the work for hundreds or thousands of people in real time? Right. And so that's an example of in order to do that, if you try something, again, I'm using the example of a marketplace, how do we do these things in a scalable way? Because we're not in the experimental phase of the future of work. We're in the scale and speed phase of the future of work. Right. I love that distinction. And the organizations that can do that more quickly will be more likely to attract and retain and develop the talent that they need by even shifting that perspective. So um, I think that's really exciting and something to even build into to how they envision their future, make that part of their visioning process. What could that marketplace look like? I was just going to add one thing I had to go back to when you were saying the marketing or the, not the, mar the headline that you'd want organizations to think about. I think too many of them that I see are that we want to be the number one fill in the blank. And that's not the headline that you're talking about, I'm guessing, right? That it would be something that would be more meaningful than just headlines that tend to be more self-focused as opposed to impact-focused? Well, I, I think, well, I think there's, there's an art and science to writing the headlines. Um, and here's, a, here's another way of thinking about it. 
what headlines can we write? My focus is on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, we talked about this earlier, Gail. Um, I don't think of myself as an HR specialist. I think of myself as somebody who is studying business and the relationship between people and business and how it's an active interaction, right? And this is something that we've turned around and I think it's changed over the last few years. We used to talk about strategy, then structure. We used to say, here's the business strategy, now staff the strategy, right? What we're seeing today is a much more dynamic relationship between workforce and work and workplace issues and strategy. One of the questions we're asking, and I think CEOs and executives need to ask is, what, what business possibilities and strategies do we have because of the opportunities that we have in work workforces and workplaces? What business strategies can we pursue today that we couldn't pursue before? So some of them are obvious, right? Could you run a company like a ride-sharing company without gig platforms and the whole nature of gig work? Probably not, right? So you have businesses whose strategies in part are enabled by the way that they view the workforce. There are companies, there's a testing company, a global testing company that has hundreds of thousands of global testers, right? Who are in a talent cloud that they operate, right? right? That business strategy is predicated on the whole not notion of a workforce ecosystem, right? And I think that's one of the really interesting questions that we have today. What strategies are possible because of what we're doing in work workforces? And workplaces. Yeah, all part of the reimagination process. A lot of different parts to it. That's so exciting. Well, I know that uh, you're optimistic about the future. And this is a time when a lot of leaders are, are like I said, some are very uh, frustrated, kind of burning out. They're trying things that are not working, uh, maybe looking at too many of the challenges and problems. So where where is it that you see is the greatest opportunity going forward? What could leaders be really excited about that could help them kind of um, find new energy or move forward in a way that they're really optimistic about what's possible now? Well, this, again, I'm repeating myself. This is a great question. Yeah, you can say it, you can repeat or say it differently. But to me, I'm just repeating what I'm seeing a lot of and trying to help people out there who are dealing with this. And 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 we are we are tired. And, and the last couple of years of responding and adapting um, has been and will continue to be tough. Um, I think part of the the role and the requirement for us as senior executives and leaders is to understand where the energy is at and to actually create the energy going forward. Right. So if you're if you're in an organization and I work with many and you're putting and your sense of the pulse of the organization is that people are exhausted, you're, you're not alone. <laughs> I think the challenge for us, especially at the senior executive levels right now is how do we bring energy into the formula, right? One way to do that, and we've talked about an element of this already, is how do we frame 2022 and 2023, right? I talked about, we talked about reimagination and reframing, right? Okay. Moving beyond adaptation to reimagination and reframing, being very critical to how we lead in 2022 and 2023, right? How we reframe the move from adaptation and responding to the idea that in 2022 and 2023, we are going to do this reimagine and rearchitecture. And how do we frame that for our employees, for our partners, for our customers? Um, I think is critical. The other is, and this is one of the stories that uh, I, I tell in my book, Work Disrupted. Um, we talked with Lewis Hyman, who's a labor economist at Cornell, 
um, who's a, 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 an expert, among other things, on the sort of history of the temporary workforce in the United States. And we asked Lewis a question. This is a couple of years ago, Gail. So what do you think is going to happen to the workforce over the next 10 years? Like, are we all going to be gig workers? Are we all going to be, you know, crowd workers? Like, what do you think is going to happen? And Lewis paused and said, I'm paraphrasing, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think we know what the future is going to be. It's not predetermined. It's not that it's set in motion. We have choices, right? And especially when we're talking about the future of work, workforces, and workplaces, how people work with technology, how we embrace talent marketplaces and workforce ecosystems, how we lead into remote work and, and, um, and hybrid work, we have choices. And I think part of what leaders can do to bring energy into their own leadership teams and organizations yeah. is to actively frame these choices and to manage these choices so that we are recognizing that in addition to responding, that we are transitioning to this reimagination phase, that we are bridging the start of the decade, which was largely defined by our COVID adaptation, into an era of reimagination and reframing and rearchitecture. And hopefully that will bring energy because that's what we want to do. We want to build, we want to create. Our employees want opportunity. They would prefer opportunity within their organization versus leaving. That's the whole gloat talent marketplace piece. These are the opportunities. These are the choices in front of us right now. Yeah, great. And you've given us so many great questions for that reframing uh, just in our short conversation today. So, so much value here. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to to share who the best kinds of organizations are, what the kinds of best organizations are, challenges that they're facing so that they might want to contact Gloat for a solution uh, and also uh, best ways that people can find your book too. Great. So, and I know we'll put some of this in the in yeah the, in the show notes for in sure the, in the show notes as well. So, as I mentioned, and I'm I'll be very open about it. So, I I, I am working as a senior executive at Gloat. We um, see ourselves as the company that really pioneered talent marketplaces um, with AI. Our focus is to democratize work in the workforce, so that workers in our companies feel that they have the most opportunity. Um, for jobs and gigs and learning and experiences and careers inside their organizations, which, of course, right now is a critical question. I think 2022 and 2023 is a year, and, and other industry analysts have talked about the importance of the category of the talent marketplace. And I think um, going to us at gloat.com, that'll be in the show notes, looking at some of the research we did. We did an interesting research report getting behind the data on the great resignation, where we did a survey in the US to look at, you know, why are people leaving? Um, we, we had data on things like, you know, how many people think that they have a good career in their organization? But I'll, I'll, I'll mention one piece of data that really, I think, surprised us, um, which was the, the more highly skilled you are, or you think you are, the more you think that you have better opportunities outside your organization than inside your organization. Right. So, you know, we know that skills and access to skills is critical. Um, so how do we develop skills? How do we develop this whole set of dynamic careers? That's sort of gloat.com. You can get to my book. My book's on Amazon. My book's also on uh, a site on Deloitte.com. And we'll put that link in as well. And the last thing I'll mention is the research that I've been able to be part of with Deloitte and MIT Sloan Management Review. 
Um, we're we're in the in the third year of a research cycle on the future of the workforce. Um, we did a paper two years ago, a research report on talent and opportunity marketplaces. We introduced um, the concept of the workforce ecosystem um, last year, April of 2021. And in May, we have a report coming out on management practices and workforce ecosystems. So, um, and we'll include the link to the Deloitte and the MIT Sloan Management Review sites for that. So a lot of, I'm very fortunate to have my my hand in uh, in a bunch of, um, I guess, a bunch of fires. I'm not sure what the right <laughs> metaphor is. Opportunities, uh, developing opportunities. opportunities. Yeah. It's a very interesting time. And I, I also can be reached on LinkedIn, um, where I, I try to post very regularly on sort of what I'm reading and hearing about these topics. And that's another place for people to to reach out to me as well. Great. Well, I'm fortunate that you were able to spend a little time here in our conversation today. I know that there's such a wealth of insight that you can share and encourage people to check out your work and your resources and, and dive deeper because it will really pay off in terms of moving moving your organization forward and, and helping you um, be a better leader during these times of new opportunity. So thank you so much, Jeff, for for joining me today. Um, Look forward to staying in touch and uh, so glad that you could be here. I do as well. Thank you, Gail. I enjoyed it. And um, 2022 is going to be one for the book. So good luck to, to you and all of our listeners. Thank you. And for everyone else listening in, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week doing the work that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.